Oh God, Dane Wigington is on the podcast today, and this one is well. Let's see. I've I've had a number of guests on this podcast over hmm, the last twenty months, and to be perfectly honest, you know, if you read, if you actually read how to eat, move, and be healthy, and you don't just listen to Paul Check on my podcast, but you take a deeper dive in his work and read that book. You'll come to understand why I have a particular view around food, modern agriculture, in addition to modern medicine. And that may illuminate uh, a lot of where my trajectory has gone through the last year and a half. Today's podcast guest is a guy who, you know, truly is, he's fucking laying it all on the line. There's no other two ways about it. And what he's exposed and verified um, is absolutely mind blowing. I first heard uh, I first heard him on the, and I think I may I may talk about it on the podcast with him. I can't remember, but I first heard him on Weston A. Price Foundation's podcast, which I will have to pull up here. We'll link to it in the show notes because it's only thirty minutes. They also they have a great podcast, so let me just say that. Um, for everybody who wants to listen, it's called Wise Traditions. And what they did is they did a series of uh, out there podcasts. No, why is series series listening to me right now? This fucking AI is on. Um, Wise Tradition podcast did a three-part series on the out there. They talked transhumanism, which I'll link to in the show notes. Very important podcast. And uh, we've reached out to that person as well. And then they talked about the documentary, The Dimming, and Geoengineering, which is all of Dane Wigington's work. After listening to that 30-minute podcast, I went to his website, I watched the two-hour documentary, and was fucking floored. We unpack everything, as much as I could remember. I've watched that documentary three times. I've shared it with everybody. If you're a part of the Fit for Service Academy, um, you've seen me post it there. I cannot believe it's still up on YouTube, to be perfectly honest, but they do have it on his website as well, which is where I saw it, and it can live even beyond YouTube and the sensors that are at hand right now. Um, please watch it. Please listen to this podcast. Please share it with as many people as you can. Um, I'm not 100% certain on <laughs> the what we do going forward, but I know awareness is the first start. The awareness starts the path to alchemize what needs to be done to help us and the rest of the consciousness remaining on the planet. And I think that's about as good as I can hype this podcast. Um, there's really nothing left to be said other than please listen and share this one. And and don't take my word for it. Watch the documentary. There is a ridiculous amount of, of verification and proof of the existence of what Dane is talking about here, and he is incredibly well-spoken and incredibly well-versed and just a very, I love this guy and I love his work. Thank you, Dane, so much for coming on this podcast. Um, there are a number of ways you can support this podcast. Sharing it with your friends is a huge one that gets more listeners. Um, leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways that the show has changed your life. Many of the times when I meet people that are listeners and they say, hey, are you Kyle Kingsbury? I listen to your podcast. They say, awesome. What do you like about it? They tell me one or two ways the show's impacted them. Uh, dietary changes they've made, sleep changes, anything that we talk about here from a health and wellness standpoint, or just understanding the truth. Like, hey, I was going to get the jab, and then I listened to your podcast with Del Big Tree, and I thought otherwise. I want to hear all that stuff. Um, and uh, if you write that in your reviews, I get to read that, and other people get to read that, and that's super important because that gets more eyes on the podcast while we still have one. <laughs> and that may change. Um, and then also supporting our, our podcast sponsors. These guys make this show absolutely possible. And today I want to tell you a bit about Organifi Gold and Organifi Harmony. Uh, Organifi is a phenomenal company. We had the CEO or former CEO, but founder Drew Canoli on the podcast, who is just incredible. These guys use um, only the best ingredients, USDA certified organic, and they source some of the most important superfoods on the planet. They have a new product which uh, I got my wife to try. It's called Organifi Harmony, and it's a cacao-flavored, amazing drink, and it's carefully chose made by women for women. It helps with PMS support, healthy hormones, um, and to fight fatigue. And look, I know I have a majority of my audience is male, 
audience, but there's quite a few of you who are in heterosexual relationships and it's a great idea to purchase something like this. You might get slapped at first for purchasing a product that, that aids <laughs> and helps somebody out for PMS, but after they try it, there'll they'll, they'll only be gratitude. And um, it's just a fantastic tasting product. It is um, loaded with really good ingredients, cacao, maca, chastberry, shatavari, which is a well-known female regenerative herb that also has adaptogenic properties and is known to promote overall health. There's ginger and turmeric, which are phenomenal. Um, I think part of the same phylogenetic family. Uh, they help with uh, antioxidants and promoting properties as well as lowering inflammation, coconut milk. And, um, you know, th this, I, I took a taste of it, even though it's designed for women, it tastes phenomenal. That's something that, that will boost consistent use with things. Any of the things that I talk about on this podcast, the most important thing that you do is consistency. And that builds what Shervine from Symbiotica says is momentum. Whether it's health or any of this stuff that we're talking about, working out, working in meditation, um, going to bed on time, getting proper sleep, it's all about building momentum. That's what keeps the brawl rolling. And Organifi Gold is also one of my favorite drinks on the planet. Um, it has turmeric in it, which lowers inflammation and helps uh, a number of other things that help with sleep, like lemon balm extract that helps you feel nice and chill at night. It's my wind down. It's my organic nightcap that I have. I mix um, some warmed up coconut milk straight so I get the good fats. And I usually have this only about an hour after dinner. That way I get a... Um, you know, start my fasting window for intermittent fasting. I want to get at least 12 hours. So I don't drink this too late and it doesn't knock me out, but it just helps me unwind. It's absolutely phenomenal. It tastes great. You can mix it with just water. Uh, I'm telling you, coconut cream is the move though. Check it out. Organifi Gold and Organifi Harmony over at Organifi.com slash KKP and then pump in KKP for 20% out at checkout. We're also brought to you by Lucy.co. That's L-U-C-Y.co. It was uh, developed by Caltech scientists who were former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative, and they researched and developed this for three years. They've got three different flavors of nicotine gum at four milligrams of nicotine, wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate, as well as a lozenge uh, and cherry ice flavor that's four milligrams. Um, these products can be enjoyed anywhere, on flights, at work, on the go, even in the gym, while you're podcasting. All of this stuff uh, is going to help you think more clearly. You know, there's a reason that performers on stage, uh, maybe not musicians, but um, comedians will chain smoke. People who are writing a book will smoke while they're writing their book. And smoking is shit. There couldn't be a worse thing to put in your body. Um, than traditionally farmed cigarettes, which have over 400 plus chemicals that cause all sorts of issues. I think we all know that. I don't need to hammer that home. Um, but nicotine, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Nicotine is incredible. And organic tobacco is incredible. Nicotine fits in the same receptor sites in the brain as acetylcholine, which many nootropics are trying to boost. You can short step all those biological processes by simply taking in a clean nicotine minus all the nasty chemicals and everything else. And this is super easy to do. Just head over to lucy.co, that's L-U-C-Y dot C-O and enter promo code KKP. You're going to get 20% off everything. This stacks great with caffeine. It stacks great with other nootropics. And uh, like I said, you can use it for pre-workouts, intra-workout, any of this stuff is going to help. Anything that boosts the brain is going to boost your ability to perform. And I mean that in every way, shape, or form. Whether you're dancing at an ecstatic dance, whether you are having a conversation with a friend and recording it, whether you are busting your ass and trying to set a PR on deadlift, all of those things matter. You sharpen the brain, you sharpen your ability to perform. Check it out. Lucy.co, promo code KKP. We're also brought to you by Paleo Valley. These guys have a whole host of amazing products, but I'm going to talk to you today about the beef sticks. Their beef sticks are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. Many on the market claim grass-fed, but they're actually finished on grains. They use beef sourced from small domestic farms in the United States. They use real organic spices to flavor their beef sticks versus conventional spices sprayed with pesticides or natural flavors in air quotes, often made from GMO corn. They ferment their sticks, which creates natural occurring probiotics, which are great for gut health. This is phenomenal for any kind of cured or dried meat. Um, you know, like we've talked about before, is your food alive? That's a pretty important thing. And when you have a packaged food, most often that's dead food, but not when it's fermented. That, that adds probiotics and that allows you to take living organisms into your body along with the protein that you need 
to survive and optimize your recovery. They taste amazing. These are phenomenal and they're a great protein snack to grab on the grow. I leave these in all of my travel bags. I make sure that whenever I'm traveling, I have them with them. Bear loves them. Uh, Wolfie's not quite old enough yet, but given another year, she's going to be pounding these things too. Benefits of the product, 100% grass-fed beef has higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids, which is anti-inflammatory and good for the brain, vitamins and minerals, glutathione, which is considered the master antioxidant that's produced in the liver. Um, I may have heard me talk with some of the different docs that I've had on about taking glutathione injections. This is phenomenal stuff. You're going to find this here in this product. CLA is conjugated linoleic acid, and CLA is known as the fat that burns fat. Um, bodybuilders have known about this for years. It is a highly bioavailable protein, which also has a slow release. So it's going to be much slower than eating eggs and much slower than having a whey protein shake. You want something for a long flight or a road trip, this is going to break down slowly in the body. And that's actually what you're looking for. They are also keto friendly and a great protein rich snack to grab on the go. You can, um, uh, let's see here. Also, from a brand standpoint, they refuse to cut corners. They prioritize health over profit. They use conscientious processing and manufacturing, meaning they're not just taking a thousand head of cattle to the butchering house and having them watch one by one as they get picked off. They source only the highest quality ingredients available, and they have a strict focus on bringing nutrient density back to the dinner table. These guys have a passion for not only health, but environmental restoration and animal welfare. Grass Finished, when you pay for Grass Finished, you are paying to heal the planet. There are entire books written about this. The Soil Will Save Us is one of them, which is referenced in Kiss the Ground documentary, and as well as uh, my dude Rob Wolf and Diane Rogers, the Sacred Cow documentary and the Sacred Cow book. Both reference this. You are paying to restore the planet and the environment. All environmentalists listening to this, grass-finished beef is the move. Ruminant animals are necessary to restore balance to the sacred hoop. You can pay that using your dollar. You can vote with your dollar at paleovalley.com. Discount code KYLE for 15% off. Last but not least... There's another good greens company, Super Speciosa. Super Speciosa is my favorite kratom on the planet. These guys have every variety of strain from the reds, the red tie, the red bali, the red everything, to the greens, to the, the mangdas. They have all of them. Experiment and try this. You know, everyone's neurochemistry is different. There is a euphoric effect from kratom that is palpable and real. It is a plant medicine. It is phenomenal. Traditionally, this was used in Southeast Asia, countries like Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, for field workers who'd have to grind 12 to 16 hours in the blistering heat of the sun in Southeast Asia. They would consume this stuff and they'd grind through their work. And I find it to be incredible. I have it pre-podcast, not every podcast, but a lot of times I have it pre-podcast as a way to loosen up. I have had it damn near every day for a month pre-workout, and I absolutely love taking this before I work out. If you've ever had a runner's high, imagine magnifying that times 10, and you're left with this feeling when you finish your run. Kratom is phenomenal, and Super Speciosa is my favorite possible company because they deliver the best prices, and you can check it all out over at getsuperleaf.com slash KKP. That is getsuperleaf.com slash KKP and use promo code KKP for 20% off your entire order. 20% off with KKP. So check it out. Uh, of course, we'll link to all this in the show notes as well as the documentary, The Dimming by Dane Wigington on his website, geoengineering.org or geoengineeringwatch.org. I can't remember, but it is in there. It will be in there. Um, share this with your friends. And thank you so much, Dane, for coming on the podcast. Cool. All right. We just had a, all right, there we go. <laughs> I just saw the recording marker start. Uh, it's my first time doing a Skype recording, um, on this podcast in 200 plus episodes, but here we go. Always a first. You're keeping it fresh, Dane. Well, th thanks for your willingness to flex with my situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I had first heard about you guys on the Weston A. Price Foundation, um, podcast and i'm not even sure if i'm saying that right i think uh you are i might as i might okay i was just gonna say let me pull it up the wise traditions podcast with uh hilda labrata gore and she had uh, they're doing a three-part series that they call the out there series and for people who don't know weston a price weston a price was a dentist that uh circumnavigated the globe and 
Uh, he looked at indigenous populations before they had been introduced to modern foods and modern medicine and saw that many of which had perfect health. They didn't have a, uh, a term in their entire language for cancer or for diabetes or for heart disease. And uh, Paul Check, who's been on this podcast more than anybody, wrote about him in his book, How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy, which is, in my opinion, the Bible of health. So, you know, getting turned on to their podcast, I had a couple of people, you know, in the same week, send me some different podcasts, one of which was the podcast they did on transhumanism. And uh, the second of which I think was was your podcast on geoengineering. And that led me to your documentary, The Dimming, which we'll link to in the show notes, as well as your website. But I was just, <laughs> I mean, put it frankly, I was fucking floored by the amount of evidence uh, that this is taking place. And the fact that, you know, really, when I adhere, would hear about something like this, I mean, I, I recall laughing in the face of people who would talk to me about uh, what used to be called chemtrails and things of that nature. And then, of course, you watch the documentary or listen to you on that podcast or on this podcast, for that matter. And it's it's really undeniable what's taking place and the consequences that are um, shaping out because of our negligence at, at best negligence and, um, at worst, perhaps, you know, desire to harm. Well, again, there's many layers to this issue. Can you still hear me? Okay, Kyle? Yeah, you're, you're, coming okay. In. Okay. you're coming in perfect. I know uh, it gets quiet when we stop it, talking. It does, but that's okay. The, the, um, that's a part of the problem with people being psychologically willing to investigate this issue because they've heard all sorts of um, claims about motivations behind it and they have not looked at the the science itself and when we know that the powers that be in the effort to try to maintain the status quo business as usual and for how long that they have known that if they did so that the uh, climate ramifications would be grave they simply committed the planet and the entire web of life to an experiment from which there is no return, an attempt to regulate Earth's life support systems by putting light scattering particles in the sky to try to deflect some of the sun's incoming thermal energy and thus slow the effect of the greenhouse gas buildup. Now, that, that being said, that's called solar radiation management. There's many science terms, solar radiation management, stratospheric aerosol injection, cloud albedo enhancement, all of this all of these are terms for geoengineering. But along with this, Kyle, we have the inarguable aspect of weather warfare, which is absolutely being waged all over the globe. In fact, I would argue any and every form of climate engineering is a form of weather warfare. It is not benevolent. It is simply an attempt to retain power and control. But unlike what some alt media sources have tried to claim, like this is some sort of willful attempt to just destroy the planet and the life support, that's not the motive of those in power, but like the pharmaceutical industrial cure for the, you know, pharmaceutical cure for the human body, Kyle, and I know you've, how many commercials have you seen, and, and I, I would assume marveled at like I do, you see a new pharmaceutical that's to treat a certain symptom, and then you see the list of side effects, and you wonder who in the world would take that. Felt that way before? Absolutely, yeah. So it's, it's the same mentality. So in the attempt to mask some of the, um, very grave symptoms of what we're doing to the planet. They've deployed climate engineering the scale that defies comprehension. And again, on the weather warfare aspect, when we look at, we have weather warfare as a matter of record. When we look at Project Popeye in Vietnam, there's no dispute. It's not speculation. It's not theory. It's not hypothesis. It's historical fact. But we look at other aspects like one week after 9-11, when General Wesley Clark was given the list of targeted Middle Eastern countries a list that obviously existed before 9-11 even happened. Every one of those countries subsequently underwent a once in 1,000 year drought. Their precipitation was systematically cut off. We have the leaders of those countries in the case of Iran on the floor of the UN. They have sophisticated atmospheric monitoring technology. They know exactly what's going on upstream in their storm track. And we have the leader, for example, the president of Iran stating emphatically on the floor of the UN that NATO was cutting off their precipitation. You cut off the precipitation, you destabilize the food supply, you destabilize the population, the country is much easier to manipulate. And 
we see that happening. We can we can see on satellite imagery, for example, the systematic cutting off of precipitation into the western U.S. How can meteorologists not address this? How can the so-called weather forecasting agencies not address this? In the case of the national weather personnel, National Weather Service and National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, there's an illegal federal gag order on them. Shouldn't that be a red flag? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, we're, we're, we're jumping right in full steam and I love that. I do wanna back up just a minute for, for those who haven't listened to the Wise Traditions podcast, um, talk about what got you into this, you know, uh, where you live, you know, what you're up to and, and how you started to, to understand this as, as a real problem um, personally, because I think that's that's an important thing to to get to. Is it's not just like, the, you know, this you weren't a weatherman, you weren't, um, you know, it wasn't your 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 forte or your background your entire life. It's something that really you felt pulled into. Uh, thanks for asking, because it's the last thing I ever wanted to do. I'm not an activist. I'm not politically oriented at all. This is this is the um, a, a real. A battle of attrition for me. I, again, um, I would rather be in the forest planting trees, which is, I was restoring habitat, as I mentioned you off the air, before I was forced to face this issue. My background is uh, in the electrical industry. I work for Bechtel Power, the largest engineering firm on the planet. I worked on the first commercial solar plant of its type in the U.S., in Daggett, California, which is now a field of blowing sand. But so my that background in solar, my home in the forest of Northern California, I wanted to all my life get to a place where I could breathe clean air, move to the wilderness of Northern California on the east side of Lake Shasta. My home was on the cover of the world's largest renewable energy magazine, Home Power. And when I began to lose massive amounts of my solar photovoltaic uptake, my solar panel uptake from whatever these aircraft were emitting into the skies above, I knew that could not be condensation. I would lose on some days 50, 60, 70% of my solar PV uptake. That doesn't mean you lose 70% of the light, but if you don't have direct sunlight, photovoltaic is dysfunctional. I began to research the issue of climate engineering. I've, I'd heard of it before, but I, like many, had uh, was very skeptical. But as I began to research the issue, there was a mountain of data that had not been disclosed that I thought I would have heard of given my background. I searched for the primary elements listed in climate engineering patents, starting with aluminum. That's a primary element named in these patents because it's reflectivity and low albedo, meaning the particles don't clump together in the atmosphere so they stay aloft longer. And from an initial precipitation of seven parts per billion of aluminum, which was high, according to a hydrogeologist who I, I communicated with at that time, given my filtered forested location, no industry, no highways, no nothing, I shouldn't have any anything over one PPB part per billion in my rain. Subsequent rain test, Kyle, went up to 3,450 parts per billion within the next 18 months, highly toxic rain falling from the sky, full of climate engineering primary elements. What else was I to do but to face this issue? How does one live underneath this? And when we have film footage of these aircraft at altitude, nozzles visible, turning these spray dispersions on and off, two and two equals four. Yeah, it truly, it truly is undeniable. And and you know, I, it it seems like something kind of out of a sick twist of a you know joke for a sci-fi movie. And and there's been a lot around Bill Gates that I've been <laughs> diving deeply into and talking about on this podcast. I've had many guests. But but hearing him talk about this, it always seemed like, you know, this was a plan for the future. It didn't seem like this was something that was already taking place. You know, the idea that that Gates wanted to cover the globe in, in uh, you know, this reflective dust to end the the global warming effects and and change everything, and and that in effect would be like a volcano going off and would effectively cool the planet. Um, that raised all sorts of red flags in my mind, understanding what health is and understanding and people that survive a volcano blast and live through the ashes, they don't do well. Um, so, but again, this, this always seemed like it was something downstream, like, Hey, if we can just get enough people to be aware, then we can prevent this from happening. So when I watched the dimming, I was like, Holy shit, like this is, we're already there and we've been there. I mean, the footage you have of, 
the patents that the U.S. United States military had put forward decades ago, you know, I think in the 1950s, and uh, you know Lyndon B. Johnson bragging about the ability to control the weather as a weapon, uh, just just blew back every layer of confidence that I had that this was not going to be an issue. I mean, it just again, you know, obviously you have footage. I encourage, highly encourage everybody to watch the video, um, the documentary for themselves. But take us piece by piece as you started uncovering this. You, you're first affected by your your solar, which has been your bread and butter for many years, your life's work. And uh, you start to dive into this. Give us piece, the play-by-play on how this starts to unfold for you as you dive deeper. Well, as we produced more and more lab tests and contacted more in academia, it was clear this was a taboo subject. No one wanted to discuss or and certainly not publicly acknowledge this was going on. So in the course of my habitat restoration projects on my habitat preserve in Northern California, I've done six uh, interagency programs, three federal, three state. So I work with scientists from the USDA, CAL FIRE, Fish and Game, and in the fields with these scientists that I know personally, they would certainly acknowledge they know this is going on. I've been in the field with USDA top scientists in Northern California testing soil pH values. And to give your listeners an idea of how much toxic rain has fallen in our region, so much that it has changed soil pH values 10 to 12 times toward alkaline. We have soil, I have the USDA historical baselines in my possession from a contact at USDA. Soil pH values, these are normally acidic soils in this region. And and you know, because of your knowledge of human health, how important pH is. So these pH values have gone from 5.4 to 6.6 in many cases. That's 12 times toward alkaline. One point on that pH scale is a magnitude of 10. And this is, of course, affecting the soil microbiome root systems. We have peer-reviewed study to prove that bioavailable aluminum affects root systems. It causes the organism to shut down nutrient uptake. It slides, dies a slow, protracted death. So we have these official agencies blaming all the tree die-off on the beetles. That is simply a symptom of what else is going on. And for many who try to claim and those who try to marginalize this issue, Kyle, try to claim that aluminum is an abundant element. We should expect it to be everywhere. That is absolute nonsense. Yes, aluminum is abundant in Earth's strata, but it does not exist in free form, period. It is not bioavailable naturally, period. It's always bonded to other elements. When you have bioavailable aluminum in your precipitation in nanoparticulate form, it has been mined and refined and dispersed, period. And now it's ubiquitous all over the planet throughout the entire biosphere being absorbed and and decimating the entire web of life. Um, I mean, this is an all-out assault. This is a fight for life, period. And that's not even taking into account, which we can go into when when you uh, choose to, that these atmospheric dispersions are destroying the ozone layer in conjunction with the radio frequency microwave transmissions that are used to manipulate these particulates. Well, that that is, uh, I definitely want to segue into that. But first, I do want to stay on aluminum because I, I know this is an excellent point that you put forth in the documentary in that the fact that these are such, the, the, the talk about the size here when you get into micron and nanometer because people don't necessarily understand that. We're talking about something so small. Um, <laughs> again, you could breathe it through a KN95 mask like something else. Um, but you know, the point that I'm making on that is when you talk about something as being bound, it's effectively dormant. It's already worked to make an uh, some type of relationship to another thing, and it's no longer going to affect you. But the, the aspect of aluminum when it is free is that it will constantly search for something to interact with. And the fact that it lacks electrons means that it likes to bind to proteins and this has a dramatic effect on all organic material from the microbiome of the soil to the human body. And one of the things that really scared the shit out of me was I just had a guy named Barton Scott on the podcast from Upgraded Formulas, and they do a hair mineral analysis that uh, tests for all of your minerals within the body and you know what you're absorbing, the ratios within those minerals, 
on the health side of things and then on the unhealthy side where your heavy metals are. Well, I, I fully expected to have, you know, some levels of mercury and maybe a little bit of lead, but both my six-year-old son and I had skyrocketing levels of aluminum. My wife had very high levels of aluminum, but less than us. And I imagine that's because of the monthly cycle that women get as um, nature's built-in detox. But for, for he and I, it was alarming that a six-year-old would have accumulated as much aluminum as I have in 39 years of my life. Well, Kyle, you're on your game. I, it's a pleasure to interact with you. I mean, you, you are more on top of this issue than people that have, have uh, been looking at it for a very long time. You're exactly right. So this buildup of this toxic metal in us and, and in the entire fabric of life is is cumulative and when we have synergistic toxicity as well. So we all have aluminum in us now, that's a given. And every human test subject we have examined, hair, blood, urine, also packed full of aluminum. We have synergistic toxicity. So in the case of aluminum and mercury, we have peer-reviewed study that concludes the combination of those two metals, because we all have mercury in us as well, from coal-fired power plants, some from amalgam fillings and other sources, when you combine those two metals, the overall toxicity can increase as much as 10,000%, a hundred times worse. How lethal is this mix? And that's not even adding in the other elements we know are involved, barium, strontium, manganese, polymer fibers. There is no consideration for the consequences of their actions in the case of the controllers who are behind these programs. Again, many, many layers, weather warfare, the attempt to mask the true severity of planetary meltdown from the public until the last possible moment. But when we look at, for example, the world's most recognized geoengineer, Dr. David Keith from Harvard, and he is, and backing up to the Bill Gates quote proposals that you mentioned earlier and so-called proposals put forward by Dr. David Keith, whom I just mentioned, all of that, red herrings, all of it designed to make people think and conclude that this is again, just some future proposal. It's been going on since immediately after World War II. Available data makes that conclusion impossible to ignore. So we don't know what the state of the planet would be without this at this point. And now the buildup is of these toxins and the damage to the atmosphere, the, the derailing of the hydrological cycle, the manifestation of all these consequences is now so immense that we quite literally face near-term planetary omnicide. And that is not to ignore all the other sources of damage to the planet. I'm not ignoring that. I'm very versed at, at, at that subject. I lectured on anthropogenic climate change before I focused everything on climate engineering, because how can one, how can one have any legitimate discussion about the climate from any perspective without addressing this elephant in the equation? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> and there, and there's more. <laughs> if you if you're, you're with us through this, there's a there's a heck of a lot more. Uh, I recently finished the book. I had Dr. Thomas Cowan on the podcast, who has been a brilliant, brilliant guy, and um, you know, a, a Rudolf Steiner um, accredited teacher and um, medical doctor for for many decades. And um, somebody who's been outspoken, you know, on the truth of health for a very long time. And one of the books that he recommended to me was The Invisible Rainbow by Arthur Furstenberg. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. But they really got into, you know, the, the human experiment that's being run with radio frequency and microwave technology and, and the impact that that can have on the entire web of life. Talk a bit about how the geoengineering use of um, microwave technology and radio frequency is also affecting the climate and the world that we live in. Yeah, this just makes the overall um, mix of what we're exposed to that much worse. There are two primary layers of RF microwave transmissions that are utilized in climate engineering. If we look at the larger aspect of that first, we have ionosphere heaters like HARP. And the HARP acronym is High Frequency Active Rural Research Program. It doesn't mean anything to anybody. It's not meant to. It's not meant to sound ominous as it is. It's a weapon of mass destruction, period. What HARP is in Alaska, and that's one of about 100 of that type of facility located around the globe. There are many. It causes, it can beam millions of watts of power. It's, it's uh, steerable as well. 
so they can manipulate where they're impacting the atmosphere. And it hits the ionosphere and causes an electrical chain reaction that causes extraordinary heating in the ionosphere. The stated purpose of this militarily is to create a bulge in the atmosphere to create resistance for an incoming ICBM, intercontinental ballistic missile. But that heating also pushes downward. That creates a high pressure heat dome. And that's exactly what we have, for example, over the Western US. The meteorologists have turned it to, termed it the quote, ridiculously resilient ridge of high pressure. And in doing that, in creating that high pressure dome, the upper level winds rotate clockwise around that dome, which means they can steer the upper level winds, which means they can steer the flow of moisture. And that's exactly what they're doing. So in the attempt to mask the severity of polar meltdown, and there are grave ramifications from that, far more grave than anything we've been told. And I can, I, I can go into why momentarily, but they are steering the moisture up around, for example, the Western US, and it's happening right now, same thing's happening right now. We're, we're looking at pushing 100 degrees in Northern California by Lake Shasta as we enter October. High 90s and perhaps 100 degrees on the ground because the temperatures are being radically underreported. And that pushes the moisture up through Alaska. Alaska's remaining colder than normal at the surface. They use a process called chemical ice nucleation for other modification, which we can go into in a moment too, because that's, that's a major aspect of climate engineering that most are completely unaware of. But that creates a surface cool down and masks the true severity of the warming. So again, in heating the atmosphere in this way, we don't know the totality of damage being done by doing so. And they can literally heat the ionosphere to temperatures that are astoundingly high into the thousands of degrees range in some cases. So I know that's difficult to comprehend, but the data backs up everything I'm stating. So the ionosphere heaters are one way in which they can create these atmospheric pressure zones that steers the upper level wind currents that then in turn steers moisture. Kyle, picture the front of your car, the fan belt that wraps clockwise around one pulley, counterclockwise around another pulley. That's exactly how the upper level wind currents work and they can steer it to that degree so they can push moisture around California, back down, pick up moisture from the Gulf of Mexico and keep the eastern half of the U.S. where the most U.S. population is cooler proportionally then the rest of the world, it's the most anomalously less warm region for nine years in a row. That's not nature. That's climate engineering. That's why people in those regions of the eastern U.S. wonder, why is everybody complaining? It's not that bad where they're at. So that's how they steer the upper level wind current, steer moisture, keep certain regions cooler at the cost of incinerating other regions. Next part of radio frequency microwave transmissions is ground-based facilities that it's a large network. NextRAD is part of that. And we monitor this. If your listeners search geoengineeringwatch.org hurricanes, they would find multiple reports from us showing how these ground-based transmitters, this network, steers cyclonic rotations. Because as you saturate the air mass with these electric electrically conductive particles, you can repel that air mass by repelling the particles. And that's what the ground-based transmitters do. So they can they can more or less push these storms. And again, we've recorded all of this in real time. Your listeners can see the actual recordings of the transmission sites activating. Again, it's inarguable data. So they can steer cyclones as they've, they've just done um, up through the eastern U.S. delivering moisture, which they then chemically nucleate, which I just mentioned, creating a surface cool down. They can do it again and again and again, or they can repel them. And in the case of Kyle, do you remember um, – Hurricane Sandy that hit the East Coast. Yeah, I had, a, I had a buddy of mine, Chris Weidman, that had to live with his parents for a while because he lost his home. Well, how do they know seven days in advance that Hurricane Sandy was going to make an anomalous, unprecedented 90-degree westerly turn seven days in advance? How did they know that? Let's look at Hurricane Harvey. How did they know Hurricane Harvey would do what it did seven days in advance, that it would just park on the Texas coast and spin the ground-based transmitters in Texas. And we have all this captured on our, uh, if your listeners search geoengineeringwatch.org, Hurricane Harvey, the transmitters onshore held that storm from advancing further onshore. So it just sat along the shoreline and spun and distributed moisture. So again, we're not speculating about this. So this is the interaction of the microwave transmissions. And it's easy to see in the sky if you see opposing directional herringbone patterns 
in what is an aerosol cloud higher up in the atmosphere, and this is visible commonly, that's the overlapping of the transmissions, creating op opposing directions on the, the herringbone patterns, and that can't happen in nature. Hmm. Let's talk. Let's talk a little bit. Let's stay on the weather here with with um, what's happening with ice and hail. Uh, you know, being here in Austin, Texas, we experienced the worst snowstorm in uh, at least thirty years, and they called it the snowpocalypse. And uh, even you know, there was there was some videos going around on social media of people trying to light the snow on fire and it wouldn't melt. And at the time, I just thought, you know, this is. I literally said to my wife, I said, this is too much for me. I can't fucking look at it right now, uh, considering, you know, 9-11, 2008 housing and now COVID. I just I was like, I, I can't I can't look at it right now. Maybe we'll come back to that. Um, but, you know, having seen your documentary now and being in a place where I can take this information in, you know, talk a bit about the hail. Talk a bit about how they manufacture snow, the surfactants, the things that are going into our atmosphere that are coming down and landing everywhere in our water supply and our food and our soil. You've retained the data extraordinarily well. Thank you for that. This is, again, an aspect of climate engineering that even those who are attempting to address the issue do not acknowledge. It's called chemical ice nucleation for weather modification. In the case of what happened in Texas, while Dallas was about zero degrees, at the same latitude in Florida, it was 85 degrees. At the same time, Dallas was about zero degrees. It was 33 degrees warmer at the North Pole. How can moisture that came off the record warm Gulf of Mexico produce that kind of anomalous cool down? Again, chemical ice nucleation is the how. These are patented processes. If your listeners searched on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org, search the engineering winter section, they can see even lab test footage that we have of these elements being dropped into a beaker of water that freeze it instantly. This is the same process, Kyle, that's used on ski slopes that they use nucleating elements to create snow where you, you can see the whole ski slope is covered with snow and the whole mountain is bare. And this technology has existed for decades. So we, we can hear it in Northern California in my remote location when, there's, when they're nucleating, you can hear just a parade of aircraft above feels like someone opened a refrigerator door, the temperatures might drop 15 or 20 degrees in, in very short order. It's a surface cool down. We're communicating with pilots, uh, some private jet carrier, former military pilots and commercial that are seeing profound temperature rises when they're 500 feet or 800 feet off the deck in these locations because again, it's a surface layer. Cold air is dense, sits on the surface. That's why you can walk into your market and, and see a, a big frozen section that's completely open on top because the cold air sits in that basin and everything stays frozen. The same is true with this process. It's what they did to Dallas. We can speculate as to the reason why certainly they sensationalize such an event and create division and uh, confusion as to this true state of the, the climate or the planet or the planetary meltdown. And that's where chemical ice nucleation suits them. Kyle, do you remember in 2014, when there was so much sensationalized media about the record snow in Boston, do you remember that? Yeah. W what didn't you see? You didn't see that at the same time, 14,000 feet up in the high Sierras, there was nothing, no snow. We have instances, we recorded in Amarillo, Texas, May 1st, I know this data inside out, upside down and backwards, May 1st, 2013, Amarillo, Texas, all time record high of 100 degrees on the ground. It snowed the next day. How is that possible? Chemical ice nucleation is how. We saw Denver, Colorado even earlier this year, and it's happened two times prior to that. They went from an all-time high of 85 degrees to 12 degrees in less than 24 hours. Denver sits in a basin. That's why it's used for that process. It, it's ideal for this type of climate manipulation. Uh, we have snow appearing in places like the United Arab Emirates and other places. I'm sure you've seen some of those headlines, snow never recorded before in history, that type of headline. Mm -hmm. That completely polarizes people into false conclusions that um, this whole narrative of something being wrong with the climate is false. And that's 
that's one of the aspects of climate engineering. Again, in addition to the weather warfare aspect, in fact, I recorded this over the Dakota Pipeline protesters. I recorded this on the satellite um, radar combination loops, 50 degree moisture that was rotating over the Dakota protesters suddenly and inexplicably flashed out to frozen precipitation, a big stripe. We recorded, we, we have actual satellite imagery of a, a stripe going across, for example, Kansas, a stripe of snow over flat ground, 10 miles wide and 300 miles long. How, how big a red flag do we need? They can chemically nucleate the moisture and create frozen precipitation on the ground. Ice nucleation is a very profound science and that is a major aspect of climate engineering, but at what cost do these cool downs come? Every single engineered surface cool down comes at the cost of an even worse overall planetary meltdown because they are destroying the planet's life support systems and as knowledgeable as you obviously are in regard to the human body, you know that once you start disrupting the natural processes, uh, a downstream chain reaction occurs and that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, as, as Paul Check put it, when you tinker with the sex organs of the earth, we might be the last generation left breathing. And, um, you know, about, you know, having having just acquired some land, you know, with Aubrey Marcus and, and looking to be a caretaker of that land and getting into regenerative agriculture as well as biodynamic farming, one of the things that stuck out to me was how this is affecting the trees and the soil. And um, it's it's really alarming i'd love to dive deep in that because of the fact that this is is unavoidable if we can't grow our own food i mean it's going to look a lot like the matrix here pretty quickly uh, i would argue um even more uh perhaps mad max on steroids when there's not enough mm -hmm. to go around the law of the jungle will prevail very quickly and if we if we carry this out in some primary factors of climate engineering i'll make this short and so you can um express your thoughts on this but if we look at this mathematically and statistically as far as the, the greatest and most immediate threat faced by the human race statistically climate engineering and all that it entails would have to be considered the greatest and most immediate threat we collectively face short of nuclear cataclysm and even in the nuclear cataclysm category again we find climate engineering because climate engineering is destroying <coughs> destroying the planet's protective layers that filter out <coughs> excuse me uv radiation we're losing the ozone layer we may be facing total ozone layer collapse mid-decade this decade what happens when we have a massive cme now coronal mass ejection i.e solar flare without earth's protective atmospheric layers that's going to shut down grids all over the planet now we have nuclear plants that can't cool themselves. Now we have Fukushima times 100 or 200, game over, game over. So the paradox of climate engineering, just like the pharmaceutical industrial industry, is their behind the curtain rationale is they need to constantly spray more of these reflective particulates to try to mitigate or mask the damage that was created by this process in the first place. So unlike any past warming event on our planet, and there have been other events, of course, based on paleo data, we never had an absent ozone layer. We lose the ozone layer. It's killing plankton right now. Earth's plankton populations are down about 60 to 70%. And there are many causes. I'm not blaming it all on climate engineering or the loss of the ozone layer. But this is the single greatest cause because plankton have to feed in the upper layers of the water column because they photosynthesize and they're being cooked in those upper layers. The, the UV is so powerful, it's baking the Cambrian layer, which is the living layer right off of trees on the, on the sun exposed side, on many species, it is baked clear to the core wood from tip to trunk. This is extraordinarily powerful UV radiation. It's killing insects. Geoengineeringwatch.org was the first major source to disclose that because of our work with former forest service and fishing game biologists. We disclosed that we are seeing an 80 to 90% crash of insect populations terrestrial and aquatic in Northern California. And we were marginalized or the science community attempt to marginalize that work, you know, falsely marginalized. Now they've admitted it. If your listeners search insect apocalypse, they'll see peer reviewed study to prove what we stated almost a decade earlier. Insect populations are crashing around the globe along with plankton. We lose the plankton, we're done because we've lost the oceans at that point. 
and we lose the insect populations, we're done again. And we lose uh, trees, we're done. We lose the ozone layer, we're done. All of it's happening at once. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a tough pill to swallow. There's no doubt. What what can be done at this point to get people to to? I mean, what, what I don't even understand. Like first move here, you know. Obviously, first move is the awareness to take and allow this information to come in and to understand it. I mean, there's been a number of signs from the aluminum test my son and I did to um, you know us growing our own food. When I lived in Northern California in Sunnyvale, we grew. I mean, a ton of different trees and, and uh, had our own garden there and everything grew well. And we used a lot of, you know, organic soil conditioner and um, different things like that. Compo did our own composting. And then out here in Texas, I, I couldn't tell if it was just the, the ultraviolet light of Texas. But then I talked to, you know, local growers and people that said, no, there's definitely trees that do better well in here in Texas. And uh, none of my trees in three years have produced fruit. None of them. And they're not even producing flowers anymore. And some of the trees are starting to grow, um, you know, deformed. They're not growing upright. They have a lean. They're growing branches from the top out sideways. And uh, it's it's pretty undeniable at this point that that I even if I'm doing all of the practices I know to work to create a healthy microbiome for the soil and these things, that there's still something affecting that. I remember. Um, working with different plants that UVC, a uh, specific type of ultraviolet light, could be really good at killing molds and um, different forms of bacteria and fungi from the leaves if you did like a UVC wand. But what you're saying is that there's an incredibly high amount of UVC that's coming in as well as other forms of ultraviolet light. And if, if this is the case, then God, what, what do we do? Therein lies the question. And there is no way out of that corner. If we continue to destroy the planet's life, providing layers of the atmosphere, it's game over. In regard to the, so your listeners understand how the UV scale is. We're told 95% of incoming UV radiation is UVA. We're told 5% is UVB. We're told UVC stops 100,000 feet up in the atmosphere. That is a lie. And below UVC, what do we have? X-ray. I think we all know how harmful that is. So we're seeing now extraordinarily high levels of UVB, which are not being disclosed. In fact, they're they're measuring now what amounts to visible light in order to mask the level of UV radiation. They're they're measuring UV at a scale of 300 nanometers and up, which is basically measuring visible light. UVB goes down to 320 nanometers again not being measured at all so i guess you you can deny what you're not even looking for uvc dropping below that we're seeing a massive amount of uv in the 270 nanometer range which is a dna damaging spectrum of uv radiation thus the deformities you're seeing on the trees part of that equation and again none of this being disclosed it's certainly easy to feel you can feel it on on surfaces and 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 you have of course an increase in infrared light then also which produces the the heat that we feel and thus the surface is heating up faster bottom line is we lose the ozone layer and it's game over it doesn't mean we all immediately perish what it means is you can't grow anything if you have a refrigerator full of food you can stay inside for a while but it's already taken its toll on the insects in fact um, very, very difficult uh, pests to deal with agriculturally. You know what a scale is, Kyle, mm -hmm. on citrus? And um, scales are incredibly difficult to deal with if you don't use some sort of toxic chemical, which we won't use. We, we had some citrus trees with scales on them uh, for the last two decades. They're gone. They're all gone, completely cooked off the trees from the UV this year. And um, we used to grow a, a large garden in my location. Again, I'm, I'm on a what almost amounts to a boreal rainforest. Our normal annual rainfall here was 70 inches a year, although we're 500 inches of rain short for the last 14 years. It, try to get your arms around that. That's 40 feet of rain. That's how short of rain we are where I'm at in Northern California since 2007, since they first set up this ridiculously resilient ridge pattern that they're using right now to try to mask the, the warming in the Arctic. It's a very long process. I won't dive into the whole scenario, but we, we've we been down at about 30, 35 inches a year times 14. That's almost 500. And we were 20 inches last year. 
Um, so they can cut off our precipitation as long as they want. But uh, in addition to the loss of precipitation, doesn't matter how much water you give anything now, the soils have been contaminated, the UV is frying them, and now what we used to have with no effort, a massive jungle of a garden uh, 15 years ago, can't grow a thing now. If you can get anything to flower, you can't get it to fruit. If you manage to get something to fruit, it won't ripen properly. Um, I mean, we're in real trouble. And there, and and just for the record, so your listeners know why Walmart and Costco still have food on the shelves in, in certain cases, we're importing now about 50 billion in food from countries that are starving to death to pacify the U.S. population to keep store shelves stocked until the last possible moment at which point converging cataclysms uh, unfold. So how does one prepare for, for a future that seems uh, undeni undeniably, you know, in our, in our, in our lifetimes? Um, and I, I would say immediate lifetimes, if we remain on the current course, and that's, I want your listeners to hear that. Um, if you're, if you're going 100 miles an hour and you're a very short distance from impact, it's it's a certainty we're going to hit. I mean, the, the life we've known is not going to be for much longer. That's a given. But that being said, if if we can expose and halt the single most destructive form of human activity, again, short of nuclear, we could allow the planet to respond on its own to the damage done and in doing so would at least buy time. If we stop this intentional interference with the planet's life support system, the planet is trying to regain a new equilibrium. It cannot do that with climate engineering interfering with it. And, and you know with the human body, when you stop interfering with its natural processes, immense healing can occur. Nature finds a way, a blade of grass that blows, grows through the tiniest crack in the asphalt in the middle of a concrete jungle, it finds a way. We must stop this interference with the climate system. And again, this it's much more than just climate intervention operations because these particles are highly toxic. It's making all of us less cognitively functional. We know that from uh, neurological studies of the effect of aluminum. These particles are so small as you described earlier, and I'm sorry I didn't elaborate on that. That's why none of this is detected by air quality testing. All of it goes under the radar. As you correctly stated, it goes right through an N95 mask these particles are exponentially smaller than anything that air quality tests for. They test for at best 2.5 microns. The nanoparticulates we're dealing with are uh, infinitely smaller. Uh, a 2.5 micron particle is like a boulder compared to what we're looking for. So again, these, these elements go completely undetected. They're absorbed into everything. And if if this continues to affect us all, affect the Earth's life support systems, affect human health, again, we're all in a very short timeline. But if we can expose this, I would argue, Kyle, we would cause a shockwave around the globe as populations understand what their governments have done to them without their knowledge and consent. And this is a global um, scale operation. We have Senate documents at geogenwatch.org, some of them um, 800 plus pages long outlining the global cooperation between nations that have otherwise adversarial relations. They're working together on climate engineering because of the cross-border ramifications. All of the global power centers know they can no longer support their populations. That's not my opinion. That's a mathematical statistical fact. And thus that cooperation, which extends into the CV-19 scenario as well. But in regard to climate engineering, again, at this point, it must be considered a form of not just weather warfare, but biological warfare at minimum. These elements are toxic, there's synergistic toxicity, and we're all being exposed to it without our knowledge or consent. So bottom line, if we can expose and halt the insanity in our skies, unite populations around the globe in a common cause, in an understanding that we are literally, quite literally, and immediately fighting for our lives, I would argue that although we are still going to hit the concrete wall, we would change the flavor of that impact. We might potentially salvage enough of the planet's life support systems that some might make it through what's coming. Wow, that's, uh, yeah, that's a lot having, having two little ones. Um, 
but we we're as I've stated before to people in the spiritual community that think that we're headed towards some, some drifting off towards some utopia that we we inherit uh, the mess. We're here to we're the cleaners of this mess, and it's up to us to build the earth that we wish to inhabit. Uh, what do you think is necessary, and other than just you know getting the word out and getting more people to understand what's happening? Uh, what goes beyond that? If it seems that this is handled through the military industrial complex, can it be fought through Congress and through our government legally? Or is this something where we may just need to have some sort of collapse from a solar flare shutting off all, uh, you know, effectively acting as an EMP that shuts off all electronics and grounds all planes. And then with that ceasing, then we start to see some type of um, rebalancing take place. First, let me let me back into that from a, a, a specific direction because I want to fill in one blank that I'm, is on every listener's mind generally. When they hear this this dire data, they conclude, and in many ways we're trained to conclude that they, i.e., those in power, ultimately those who print the money, and that's who's behind all this. All roads lead to those who print the money. They own militaries, thus they own countries. That's who's running things. It's not some puppet in a White House. I don't care what their political stripe is. It makes no difference. Bottom line is, why would they do this to themselves? We have to look at those in power as a cancer, and a cancer that's being run by addicts, power addicts. Does an addict care that the next fix might kill him? No, they don't care, and power is the most addictive of all. At this point, we have so many cells in that cancer just doing their part, just doing their job, and so you have a headless, heartless, soulless beast, if you will, that simply exists to proliferate itself. Does a cancer intend to kill its host? No, a cancer intends to proliferate at any cost, the host eventually dies. And that's a scenario we face. And we're not dealing with sanity at the top. Absolutely not dealing with sanity. We're dealing with power addicts and they will continue on this process unless we stop them. And the only way we can stop them is at a grassroots level because they own the matrix, they own the media, they own the militaries, they own the agencies, they own these so-called higher institution learnings, which are or, or institutions of learning, which are simply um, indoctrination at this point. So we have everybody pretending that this climate engineering elephant in the sky isn't really there. So if we can expose this so that those, especially our military brothers and sisters, Kyle, so that they understand that they are in fact participating in their own demise, the demise of their own posterity, if they continue to cooperate with these programs, we need them to stand down. We need people in academia, in spite of the potential loss of their employment, that their employment is that doesn't matter. Their paychecks won't matter on a dead planet. And we are perilously close to that point. We need them to band together, stand up, and tell the truth. And those in media who are helping to propagate the uh, deception of this planetary omnicide or the covering up of it, they need to be looked at as accomplices in the crime. That's that's key. Those media people need to be held responsible for their part in this insanity. Only through a grassroots level, I would argue, do we have any chance of stopping these programs from the inside out by simple disclosure. Many wheels will turn on their own. We already sued the Canadian government for four years. And when the data became too compelling, they just dismissed the whole case. We don't have time to go through that process anymore. We absolutely don't have time. And and what I want your listeners, a final note, people feel powerless because they've been trained to feel powerless. And, and I know Okay, given your background, given your knowledge, you know that that's not true. If you assert yourself towards something and, and you start to cause that ripple effect, uh, we have immense power if we would simply put it to use. And what I've argued and what I showed at the end of the dimming is that any one of us can be the final pebble that triggers the landslide by spreading this awareness and, and starting spot fires of awareness, if you will, that if there's enough of them merge into a blaze that the power structure and their completely controlled media can't put out. If we could expose this issue, we would cause a shockwave around the globe. And I would argue if we can do that, we can change the flavor of what we face. Well, thank you so much, Dane, for, for all the work that you've been doing. Um, <clears throat> I know personally from just from the the, the bit of um, truth seeking and speaking that I've done over the last 18 months, that it is not fun uh, for the medical doctors that I've had on this show that have exposed some of the lies uh, surrounding the narrative through mainstream media currently happening. Um, 
no one no one does just wakes up one day and says, hey, let me throw my whole fucking career out the window. Let me throw any and all credibility that I have out the window and let me just do this thing uh, because maybe I'll get a book deal out of it. You know, it's um, it takes a lot for somebody to dive into this. And I think, you know, the point that I reached is likely the same point that you reached where you just wake up one day and you understand that there's no turning away from it. And it is too important and it matters too much to stick our head in the sand. It must be something that's taken a deep dive into and exposed and talked about. And um, I just want to thank you and commend you for the work that you do. I truly appreciate it. The dimming is beautifully put together and undeniable in its trueness. Thank you, Dane. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you for your willingness to address the issue. And, and uh, individuals like yourself that have the ability to so correctly and articulately convey this issue are are hugely needed in this battle. So my deepest thanks to you and to your listeners for the willingness to hopefully investigate further. Beautiful, Dane. We'll link to everything that you provide in the show notes. Um, is there any place that people can get a hold to give you that you'd like to leave for the listener? Admin at geoengineeringwatch or excuse me, contact. Uh, they can go to the homepage uh, that's the the email they'll get. But if they go to the homepage, just go to the contact section on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. Yes, that's the Beautiful. best way. Beautiful. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Dane. Thank you, Kyle.